You ever been someplace where you felt like you didn't belong? That uh, artist there, he goes by the name Propaganda. And uh, so you might have, when the title slide came up, you might have wondered what that was all about. But that's the, that's the name he goes by is Propaganda. My wife Wendy listens to a lot of Propaganda, uh, the person, not the other Propaganda. And so uh, when we heard a couple weeks ago that he was going to be in Boston uh, this past week, we got tickets and we went this past Thursday night to see Propaganda. And I thought, this is all I had known of Propaganda's um, uh, work and his art, this spoken word uh, type stuff with no music in the background, almost poetry, uh, rap poetry kind of set to, uh, set, uh, to rap. And so I thought, yeah, that'll be cool. We'll go. It'll be like a coffee shop atmosphere, right? We'll get a, I'll get a cappuccino. We'll sit, you know, we'll listen, like drink the cups, put our pinkies up like this. And, you know, after he gives something like that, we'll just give a nice little clap. You know, maybe we'll do, I don't know, they, they snap or something, you know? And I thought, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll do that. So I walk in on Thursday night to this room on Boylston Street in Boston uh, that's owned by Berkeley School of Music. And uh, there was no cappuccino. There was no coffee. There were no tables. It was just one room about the size of our cafe, maybe a little bit bigger. And I'm told 200 people were going to get into this room. And they were just going to stand. Um, and we were early because we don't know any better. And so we showed up a little early. So we go to the front of the room. Figure you want to be in the front. There's a stage that's about as high as this one step. Now, I knew this was going to be a little bit different than what I expected when I walked in and there was this guy, I later learned his name was DJ Effecto, <laughs> on the stage with a MacBook and a bunch of other digital devices that was making some incredible sounds that I have never heard uh, come out of you know, these speakers and some mixes and stuff like that. And I mean, the speakers were loud and, and pumping. And it was pretty cool. Um, but it was a place, as I looked around, Wendy and I were like, oh, there's one couple that's older than us. Um, <laughs> we found one. Uh, but I looked around and I thought, I don't have near as many tattoos and dreads as these guys. The beard helped me fit in a little bit. But, uh, but it was a place you, I walked in and I thought, I'm not sure we belong here, you know. And then when the guy, the host, came out and his first words out of his mouth, uh, the first words out of his mouth, I believe, were, uh, you need to get moving because this is a hip-hop concert. And I thought to myself, it is? <laughs> I thought we were going to do poetry and, like, reading um, but it was a lot of fun, and if you listen to the other stuff that Propaganda puts out, it's really good. It's solid, theological, good Christian lyrics, but it's set to a lot more music than that one is. But you sometimes, maybe you've done it, you walked into a place, and you felt like, I'm not sure I belong here. You look around, and you say, this may not usually be my scene. I remember another instance uh, for Wendy and I. We were traveling uh, a number of years back, we were, uh, had the chance to go to Hawaii, actually. Some friends of ours had given us buddy passes. And I don't know, how many of you are familiar with buddy passes? You know what a buddy pass is? So if you work for an airline, sometimes you have this opportunity to have buddy passes, which is you can buy a ticket and the other person, you kind of fly, or, or you're, you, know, you fly on that employee's kind of credit. They have these passes, and you kind of get the privileges that that employee of the airline gets as long as there's room on the airplane. 
And so we're, we're flying to Hawaii, and we're going to do this really cheap because we got these buddy passes, and this is great, but there's one more perk to the buddy pass. If there are seats open in first class, and the employee you got the tickets from, their, like, eligibility in the company trumps everyone else's eligibility, you get to get bumped up to the first class seats. Now, I had never flown first class, and I thought, that could be pretty cool. And so I'm thinking, oh, I hope we get bumped up, right? So we're flying this short flight, I think, from Boston to New York to catch our connecting flight. And, um, and we get, and they say, you know, there's, we got two seats left in first class. Doesn't seem like anyone's there. You guys, you know, you guys can take them. And we thought, this is nice. Walked in to first class. You know, yeah, we belong here, right? Walk in, put our bags up above, sit down on these huge plush seats. Some lady comes by with a hot towel that I still don't know what I was supposed to do with till this day. <laughs> Gives me this hot, really hot, like burn me towel. I'm like, what are you doing to me? And, and we're sitting there. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm like, just please close the door. Please close the door. Please close the door. Right? And right before they close the door, will Richard and Winnell Picarello please come to the gate and bring your carry-on baggage? And then, you know, right, the walk of shame, right? You, first of all, you sit there and you look around like, who's that, you know? Then we grab our bags. And you walk by these people in first class. You just know they were thinking, I knew they didn't belong here, you know? I knew it, Right? And so we walk out, and, uh, and you're just like, oh, you know, we didn't belong here. And, uh, and thankfully, we did get to fly one leg of the flight first class. Still the only time I flown it. It was pretty cool. Um, but that, I remember that one time of just, you know, having to walk out. And sometimes you walk into places, and you feel like maybe you realize it yourself. Maybe somebody tells you, you don't really belong here. I think of, I don't watch American Idol much, but the only time I do is like in the early editions because I want to see the people that think they belong there, but they don't really belong there. You know, and they, they start singing, and you're like, oh, man, what are they going to say? I hope they let this guy off easier. I hope they really let him have it. A few years ago, there was this one guy, the only thing, I don't know who his name, I don't know, but the song he sang stuck in my head, and maybe it's stuck in yours, the pants on the ground, pants on the ground. You know, you know that one sticks in your head, and you're like, oh, this guy doesn't belong here. But sometimes you realize it, sometimes someone else has to tell you that you don't belong here. Hopefully, you got some friends in your life, some truth tellers that will tell you, you know, this, you know, maybe you need to rehearse a little bit more. Maybe you need to practice a little bit more. Hopefully you get some people in your life that are, love you enough to tell you the truth. And sometimes it just comes from a stranger. But what if it came from God himself? What if you walked into a place and you wanted to be there and you wanted to really, you wanted to really fit in, you wanted to be there and God himself said, you know, you don't really belong here. What if God himself kind of looked at you and said, you know, you don't really deserve to be here. Now, this isn't for you. And you might think, well, God would never say that. You know, I, the, the Jesus I read about in the Bible would never say that. There's a woman in today's passage that may have felt that's exactly what God was saying to her. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn or click to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, reading about a woman who 
may have felt that that's exactly what God was saying. It wasn't one of her friends. It wasn't her in her own spirit. It was Jesus himself. Maybe saying her feeling like she didn't belong there. This is what the word of God says. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. I don't know about you, but when I hear this passage, there's two questions that really jump out at me, and maybe they jump out at you as well. The first question that jumps out at me is this, did Jesus really just call this woman a dog? Did Jesus really just insult this woman who's, who's coming to him at a time of need and desperation? And those of you who are parents in here uh, know maybe this woman's uh, feeling when something's wrong with your child. I would venture to guess that you have probably never prayed more fervently than there, when there was something wrong with your child that you could not fix. And so this woman is coming to Jesus at a time of desperation, falling at his feet and begging for mercy. And did Jesus just call her a dog? Did Jesus just not even recognize her cries and her pleas, but just insult her and told her to go away? This isn't for you? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. The second question I have when I come to this passage is this. What was it in her response that caused Jesus to act? Because Jesus says, because of your response, the demon has left your daughter. And I look at that and I say, what was it? What was it in her response? Because I want to know that. I want to know if something catches God's attention, if I can say something or do something and know that's what God hears, that's what God listens to, that's what catches God's attention, that's what grabs God's ear, I want to know that. I mean, what was it that when she walked in, Jesus is like, no, no, this isn't for you right now. But then he says, well, because of your response, yeah, I'm going to do it. Because I want to know that. I want to know the answer to that question. Because there's lots of times I want God to listen to me. I want God when I cry out. I want God when I pray. I want God to hear me. I don't know if you're like me, but there's times I wonder if God's hearing me. Sometimes I wonder if the prayers are just going up and hitting the ceiling and coming down. And if there's something I can say or do that's going to help me to be heard by God, I want to know what that is. So let's look at the first question. Is Jesus really insulting this woman and just calling her a dog? 
I think the answer is no. Jesus is not insulting this woman and calling her a dog. Let me explain for a minute. It's true. In Jesus' time, one of the derogatory terms that some Jewish people would use for non-Jewish people is a dog. Uh, They would uh, call them all kinds of names. Unfortunately, there was a racism that that existed then, as often racism exists now, and there were names that were called and names that were used, and historical evidence will show that sometimes one of those names was a dog. But the word that was used for dog in that context was a word that was like a like a yard dog, like a, like a mongrel, like a, like, like a dog that didn't have a home, but just kind of roamed through the city streets, always looking for food, just kind of, um, you know, scrounging up scraps, and, and, and no one really owned it, no one really paid attention to it, no one really wanted it, it didn't have a home, didn't have an owner, it was just these dogs that just kind of roamed around. These stray dogs. That was kind of the the derogatory term they would use. But Jesus doesn't use this term. Jesus uses the diminutive form of dog. He uses it not in the yard dog sense, but in the small little puppy dog sense. The kind of dog that you might keep around your house. The kind of dog that you might keep as a pet. The kind of dog that might become almost a part of your family. I know for, for many of you who are, who are dog uh, lovers and you have dogs, you know, you, you consider them part of your family. You might spend more money on them in a year than you spend on your children. Uh, and, and you are, you know, you know what that feels like. And so Jesus is talking about, he's using this diminutive term of dog to talk about like these puppy dogs. And what he's doing is what Jesus often does. He's giving an answer in a parable. What Jesus would often do when he teach, when he taught, is he would look around what's around him and use it to deliver truth. So if he's on the side of a hill, he might say, uh, uh, look at the harvest. Look at the wheat. It's ripe unto harvest. And this is the way the world is. Or if he's on the side of the hill and there's shepherds grazing sheep, he might say, hey, you know, the, the father... It's like a shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to go after the the one sheep. He uses sheep as an example. In agrarian culture, he often used farming and farmers as an example. So he's in a house. He's in a home. And he's trying to explain truth to this woman and trying to explain truth to these disciples. And while he's there, he says, you know what it's like? It's like a puppy dog. And it's like he's trying to explain this theological concept. He's like, if I took the food that was supposed to go to the children and I gave it to this puppy dog first, that would be like what's being asked of me to do here. Because Jesus is essentially delivering this theological truth that he came first to the Jews. He came primarily to give the message of hope and salvation to the Jewish people. And you might say, well, why? That doesn't seem fair. Why didn't he come to the Irish? Why didn't he come to the Italians? Why didn't he come to the Indians? Why didn't he come to the Chinese? Why to the Jews? And the answer is because a long time ago, God chose a man named Abraham. And out of him and his son Isaac formed the Israelite nation, the Jewish people, And he gave them his word and all of his prophecies. And he said, one day out of you will come a Messiah 
and he will be the savior of the world. See, it was the job of the Jewish people to tell the rest of the world. And the bottom line is the Jewish people were the only group on the planet that would understand who Jesus was. If he'd come to the Italians, you know, he, got a, he would have got a good meal. <laughs> but the Italians would have went, what do you, we don't know who you are. What are you doing? We don't, we don't have the prophecies. They wouldn't have understood. It was only the Jewish people that he could come to that would say, wow, he is fulfilling all the prophecies that have been spoken for hundreds of years. So all Jesus is saying, look, it has to be this way. I'm going to the Jewish people first, and then it'll go out to the rest of the world. This is the way it has to be. And so he's not insulting her as much as he's just explaining a theological concept and saying, look, it would be like in, in taking the food away from the kids and just giving it to the puppies. I have to feed them. They have to feed. It doesn't make any sense. I'm here to feed them first. The woman hears that, and then she responds, yes, but even the puppies get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And that's when Jesus says, because of this response, the demon has left your daughter. And I want to know what is it in that response that caught Jesus' attention. I think it's two things. I think it's two things that are in that response that are important to us to understand because these two things are the foundation of us responding to Jesus. These two things are the foundation of anyone getting God's attention. These two things are what God responds to, I think, more than any other thing, and they are this. One is it was humility. The first thing in her response was humility. She said, you know what? I'll go with your analogy. I'll go with your parable. I said, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. How many of us would have responded that way? How many of us would have gotten our back up and said, forget you? Did he just call me a dog? Even a puppy? I've been here begging at his feet. I've been here weeping and crying for my child. And this is the, how many of you, how many of, how many of us would just say, forget it. You're not the only healer in town. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, I came with hope. I came and humbled myself at my, your feet. And that's how you respond. Forget it. I think many of us may come with that attitude, but this woman didn't. The first thing that caught Jesus' attention was humility. She came and she basically said, you're right. You're right. You're right. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I don't deserve for you to do this. I don't deserve a seat at the table. I don't deserve any of that. She came with a spirit of humility. And that is critical. It's by far the first thing. You can never come to God in pride. See, an attitude of superiority will always put a wall between you and God. It's an attitude of humility that comes and says, God, I bring nothing to the table. In fact, the stuff I bring to the table isn't any good. But I'm coming in humility. I'm humbling myself at your feet. That's the, first, that's the gospel. The gospel is, Tim Keller puts it this way, you are worse than you ever thought. I mean, if you read the Bible, that's what it is. We can think we're great, 
But as bad as you ever thought you were, according to the holy of holies, the scriptures, we're worse. We're worse. And so it's that spirit of humility that catches Jesus' attention. It always catches God's attention. You wonder, the Bible says, talks about where God's spirit lives. And most of us would say, well, God's spirit lives in holy places, in the heavenly holies, in the most holy places. And it does, but it dwells somewhere else. Isaiah, in his, in his uh, letter written uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says this, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. We get that. But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Where does God live? The Bible says God lives in two places. He lives in high and holy places. Most people would say, yeah, I get that. But the other place he lives is among the humble, among the lowly, among the contrite, among the ones that say, God, I get it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worth it. Lord, I understand that. It's a place of humility. And you say, well, why do I have to come in such humility? Why does God demand that? Well, it's like, apart from that, it would be like using a GPS with the wrong starting point. You know, you can have, you can have a, a great GPS on your phone or in your car or whatever, but if you've got the wrong starting point, you're going to have trouble getting where you need to go. You know, mine, I don't know about yours, mine always asks me, you know, it asks me, you know, I put in the address I'm going, and at the top it says your location. Of course I want to start from my location. You know, I don't want you to take me there from someplace else. Take me there from where I'm at. If we don't understand the spirit of humility, we are never going to get to our destination because we're at the wrong starting point. We start with thinking, well, I'm worth it. God owes me. See, the hard part is I think we live in a culture that doesn't understand this kind of thinking. Our culture says, I I want what's coming to me. I want what I deserve. In fact, we have statements in our, in our society like, I don't need anybody's charity. You can't come to Jesus because we do need his charity. In, in the most strictest sense of that word, we come and have earned and deserve nothing. And so this woman comes and she says, yeah, I get it. I don't belong here. I'm a Gentile. You're a Jew. I'm a woman. You're a man. I don't, get, I don't belong here. It's not our time. I understand. She comes in humility. See, the truth is we don't deserve it. Turn to your neighbor or someone near you and say, you don't deserve it. Nah, you're not, you're, not, you're afraid, you're afraid. <laughs> I just explained it. Say it like you mean it. You don't deserve it. <laughs> and now follow that up with, and neither do I. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth of it, right? You don't deserve it. Neither do I. And that's the one thing that captured Jesus' heart, humility. But there was something else in this woman's heart. There was something else in this woman's response that I think captured Jesus' heart. It wasn't just humility. The second thing she had was faith. She had faith. See, just as much as superiority can put a wall between us and God, so can an inferiority complex. She could have easily walked away and stopped at humility. Some of you do that. Some of us do that. 
we get to that point of the gospel where we understand, yeah, I don't deserve it. You're right. You're right. We hang our heads. We walk away. Just another rejection. Just another standard we didn't meet. Just another person we didn't measure up to their expectations. Just another place we don't belong. Just another time we missed the mark. We walk away. Yep, he's right. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And we just walk away. But her response didn't stop there. Her response was not only couched in humility, it was full of faith. Because she, she said, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. In other words, you're right, Jesus. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I don't, I, I don't, I don't deserve for you even to consider this. But not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Not because of what I have done, but because of what you can do. I'm going to ask anyway. I'm going to ask anyway. So she comes and she says, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But you can do it. And would you do it anyway? It was a response couched in humility, but full of faith. And both of these things grab God's attention. The book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 6, says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Say that word with me, please. Impossible. Without faith, say it again, impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I think that's what Jesus saw in this woman's response. Believe that he exists, that he has power, and that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. And so she stayed. She didn't walk away. She was there in humility. She says, I don't belong here. I know I didn't earn it. I know I don't deserve it. But Jesus, would you do it anyway? Some of us stop at humility and never make it to faith. But God, Jesus, I felt like Jesus was just, I don't know the expression on Jesus' face. I, I, one day in heaven, I want to see this scene relived because I wonder if he was smirking a little. I wonder if there was a little twinkle in his eye wondering if she would come back with a response because I can't believe that Jesus was going to let her walk away without her daughter being healed. Maybe he would have, I don't know. But I know that the Bible says if you're able to do good, you should do it. And I think Jesus is the one who is not going to miss an opportunity to do good. Maybe he would have let her walk away, but I wonder if there was just a little bit of, okay, your turn. You respond now. Waiting for a response of humility and faith. And then when he got it, he said, because of this response, the demon has left your daughter. And so we, we come to what is really the foundation of the gospel, the idea of understanding who we are and who God is, <laughs> that we are people who are sinners and always fall short of God's standard. But God is so gracious and loving that he meets us where we are and he comes to save us comes to be in relationship with us and he comes to forgive us. That we are 
hopelessly lost without him and yet so graciously embraced by him. Tim Keller puts it this way, you are worse than you ever thought, but you are loved more than you could ever hope. And that's the message of the gospel. But it has to be that we come to embrace both of those places. If you come with a spirit of superiority, God will wait. God will wait till you're able to humble yourself and recognize that he and he alone is Lord. If you walk away with an inferiority complex, God will wait till that place where you can come to and put your faith in him and trust in him that he exists, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Humility and faith. They're the foundations of our relationship with God. They're what God is looking for out of each of us. What Jesus did is he allowed this woman to see a greater amount of his grace. What he did is he allowed his disciples to see how really gracious he is because he didn't have to do it. She didn't deserve it. And he did it anyway. And it's when we come to the place where we're able to say, God, you don't have to do it. I don't deserve it. But Lord, would you do it anyway? And when he does, you know it's all grace. It's all him. It's not you. It's all about him. If you want to get God's attention, come with a humble heart based on who you are and full of faith based on who he is. I think that's the key to getting God's attention. I think that's the response that captured Jesus' heart, and I think it still captures God's heart today. If you want to come and get God's attention, come with a heart that is humble, but also a heart full of faith. As we respond to God's word today, I want to give us some, a chance to do that. And I'm going to ask our music ministry to come back. And we're going to give a, have a chance to respond to the word of God. You know, too often, I think we come to God with either a lack of humility. You know, we, we don't get to that place. See, the problem with the religious leaders that were around Jesus' time is they kind of got to the place where they felt like, we deserve it. We deserve it. We, Pastor Brian did a great job last week of explaining how the law was meant to humble people, to say there's no way I could meet that. And what it did for many of the religious leaders of the day is they said, oh, we can do that. And they became prideful about it. And so they started to think, we deserve it. We deserve a Savior. We deserve someone to save us our sins. We deserve a Messiah. So Jesus would repeatedly say, you got to have the faith of a child. He'd see a woman like this, and he'd say, because of that response. He'd see a leader, and he'd say, you know, you have great faith because you have put your trust in me, and he's not even an Israelite. Humility and faith. And which do you need this morning? As we come to this call and response this morning, which is it in your heart that God's speaking to you? Maybe this morning you come to it and you say, I haven't had a real humble heart. I haven't had a real humble heart. I haven't been broken before the Lord and come to the place where 
God, it's you and you alone. I, I have a tendency to rest on what I've done and feel some pride in what I've done and been able to accomplish rather than saying, God, it's you and you alone that have done it. Maybe you hear this story and when, 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 when Jesus makes that statement, even when you understand it in its context, you still say, oh, I shouldn't have said that to her. But until we get to the place where she got to, God, I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm unworthy. There's going to be a barricade in our relationship with God, and it's called our pride. We got to get to that place where we say, God, it's nothing I did. It's nothing I said. I'm like a child born into a family that I have done nothing other than exist and you shower your love upon me. You're a child born into a family. They have done nothing to contribute to that family. They have done nothing to bring income. They have done nothing. In fact, all they bring is expense. All they bring is, you know, sleepless nights and hard work, and yet love is showered upon them. And until we come to God like that, saying, I have done nothing but just be born into this thing, and I don't deserve it, but full of faith, would you do it anyway? And maybe you're on that side where you need that faith and you'd say, you know what, I don't deserve it. You've been walking around with your head down saying, oh, I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve for God to provide for me. I don't deserve to ask God for this. I don't deserve to be free from this. I don't deserve, you know, health in my family because I've done such a job of messing it up. I don't deserve for God to intervene in it. I don't deserve, maybe you walk in here every week and you see these people coming up for prayer and you don't come up because you think, well, I don't deserve it. I've messed it up up. It's my fault. But I, I think we need to get to the point where we say, yep, it's my fault. But would you do it anyway? Would you do it anyway? Jesus, can I have a crumb from your table? I don't deserve a seat at the table. But can I have a crumb from your table? Because that's all it takes. And maybe you need to come this morning and you need to say, well, I've been humble, but I have not walked in faith. I've been humble, but if I'm honest before God and I'm honest before you, the truth is I come doubting or I stay in my seat because I don't think God really wants to help me because I think I deserve what I've gotten in life and, and I just have to live with it. Could it be that God is waiting for you to come in humility and faith? He's sitting at that table and he's looking and he's waiting. He's waiting for you to respond like he waited for that woman to respond in humility and in faith. So he can say, because of this response, I will hear your prayer. Because of this response, I have heard and I will answer you but it starts in humility and faith. And so we're gonna have some time to respond. Our worship team's gonna play, and I'm gonna ask our elders uh, and, and leaders to come. They're gonna be up here on either side of the altar, uh, just as they normally are at the beginning of service. And if you want to pray with someone, either about this message 
Or maybe you just need to come in faith and say, I need a healing and I haven't come, or I need a healing and I haven't believed God for it, or I need provision financially, and would you pray for this with me? Or there's some relationship in my life that I need healing from, or there's a bondage that I need broken. These leaders will be here to pray with you and listen to you. They want to pray with you. They want to stand with you. They want to bring your request before the Lord. But as they're doing that, if you want to come and just kneel at these altars and just have some time with you and God and just in humility come, just in humility come to recognize, God, I don't deserve it. You know what I deserve, God? I deserve to hear my name over that intercom, you know, get called out. Get your bags. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. That's what I deserve. And yet only by the grace of God, he calls you his child. Only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, based on what he did on the cross, can I come and say, Lord, I fall upon your grace. So would you stand with me, and I'm going to pray. and. As I do, and after I finish praying and the worship team plays, these altars are open. There'll be others up here on the sides of the altars that'll be here if you want someone to pray with you. And let's respond to God's word together.